0: On today's episode, we have polyamorous research psychologist, Dr. Jolie Hamilton. Join us for a conversation on jealousy within non-monogamy and creating the relationships you desire. Together, we talk about creative versus boilerplate monogamy, relationship agreements, and letting our partners be multiple Ooh, y'all. I don't know about you, but I just love any sort of theoretical discussion on polyamory, relationships, all the things that run through my mind when I look at all of humanity and the way that we connect. And so I just love getting to sit back and have someone else just share the beauty that is their creative thoughts and lessons and all these different things that Dr. Jolie Hamilton has learned. It was just such a pleasure to get to connect with her and hear from her decade of experience navigating polyamorous relationships. So thank you, Dr. Jolie. I really had such a pleasure chatting with you and I think everyone here is really going to enjoy hearing about your work. Y'all, tune in. I'm loving this color-coded bookshelf. Wow. Yeah. It definitely cheers up my uh, all the time spent on Zoom. <laughs> oh, yeah. Seriously. Yeah. I have a little bit of a rainbow behind you. <laughs>
1: exactly. Exactly. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm very good. It's a nice Monday. It's sunny. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's cold, but... Where are you at? Western Mass. Um, okay. So out um, on the, like, Smith College Mount Holyoke side of things. Not the Boston side of things. How
0: about you? Okay. I'm in Chicago, so I don't know much about Boston, anything at all. I'm originally from California, which is where what I know, and then just moved to Chicago after college. So Lovely been here for about five years now, so this is what I know so.
1: I hear such where, good yeah. things about Chicago lately. I, I feel like it's it's really gaining it's getting some legs under it when it comes to like alternative communities and
0: yeah. Yeah. That's what yeah, I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. And I hope to be a part of that <laughs> movement, right? Like, yeah. how can I help build those communities here? Right. I've been really looking forward to this conversation. I'm so glad. Yeah. I mean, you you said that you studied jealousy. That is what I
1: did my doctoral dissertation on. Yeah. And I'm actually yeah. I have a second field study going right now. Like, it's I'm just about to announce it. Okay,
0: wow. Okay, so what is your doctorate in? <laughs>
1: depth psychology. So, I studied Jungian and archetypal psychology? Yeah, like kicking it really old school.
0: <laughs> I I so want to know what that means. Yeah.
1: So, for me, what that meant was I had rejected the concept of behaviorism as like the base of while understanding its usefulness decided that wasn't what I wanted my base to be was behaviorism so Mm -hmm. I was looking around for other options and Jungian and archetypal psychology really takes you into the mythological like the original use of the word psyche as soul Mm. so not religious but like into what is story what is mythology what is like it leans far more towards the philosophical Then toward the behavioral. So and now I'm actually seven eighths of the way done with a second master's degree in a clinical program to kind of balance out my learning base. And I definitely picked right the first time for my for my fit, you know, like to, to fit me right.
0: Yeah, I'm so curious because I'm in a clinical society, so I don't know how much I'm going to go into Jungian, like, philosophical. I I have some books from my humanistic existential framework that seem to be tying in some ideas about spirituality and other things, but I'm not sure if I'm even going to get that level of study with my current program. That's
1: totally what I found. I was like, oh, I... It it felt like an either or choice, which was frustrating Mm. um, at the time. But later I realized how simple it would be for me to get my base in something and then add the other pieces. So Mm. for me, especially because I knew that I was going to practice as a coach, I didn't want to work in community mental health. So it it made sense to go ahead and go this direction. It also let me do my dissertation on whatever I wanted. Oh, yeah. Like I really got to, I got to really drive the ship there and that was
0: awesome. I mean. Amazing lucky me yeah <laughs> i i still want to know like what is the difference like i, I get like the, the i i know and this might be a really big question yeah. but like as someone also in the field of psychology and equally curious about these things um one of the only things i know from young is that concept of like these moments in time where you see these small connections of the universe that seem to the make sense yes yes yeah. so, like that's all i've kind of heard about it and, and hung on to and i recently talked about it with my friends the other night and wanted to learn more so maybe yeah you could just give there's, me a little bit yeah there's so
1: many great great starting spots for Jung's work. And I really feel like he's one of those figures that we have to like draw from and then allow ourselves to do some death of the author because he's still, you know, he's a white cis male from Western Europe. I mean, we have to be thoughtful about that, but, but the baseline of what he talked about, he used the alchemical metaphor to describe psyche. That means alchemy, you know, the idea of turning lead into gold, right? Like that old. So it's really taken on as a philosophical approach of like managing change. What is change? We are led. We want to become gold. It's so it's it's a developmental process. That's all. Mm-hmm. But rather than seeing it as a thing that's happening to us, which developmental psych has turned into a bit of a that like we get that sense that it unfolds in a natural sense, the mm-hmm. alchemical metaphor leans more heavily into the like post-traumatic growth. Like, what do I do mm-hmm. with myself? How do I actively participate in my growth and development? Mm-hmm. So a lot of the things yeah. that are found in Jungian psychology apply really well to that post-midlife transition. Mm, not so okay. much for childhood like you know yeah. like freud didn't get everything um wrong like he's not completely wrong about everything but like <laughs> you know yeah, exactly
0: not- <laughs> there's a chunk of things yeah, he was like, like, there's
1: like he was wrong but they- then he had these seeds right that yes, were just yes. so useful yes and that's the part so in the depth psychological realm i try not to take my my child development too seriously from that realm but I do take my adult development and I do take, um, like, gaining wisdom and growing mm-hmm. older and that – well, you might – I'm sure you've seen this already. You know how you have clients who want something more from mm-hmm. – they want something more. They didn't just come because they have an ouch, but they're, mm-hmm. like, lost and seeking yes. those yes. folks. And that, I knew that that was my, like, those are my folks I'm, I'm Mm. really good. I'm good at calling a bullshitter out. I'm good at at, like not letting somebody philosophize their way around things. Ooh. Um, That might be me. Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) And, and I needed that. So this was me finding a way that would help me really call myself out and be in a pond that, that fits. Whereas... I mean, I love somatic work for trauma. I love, you know, like there are so many other modalities that are super useful and they Mm -hmm. actually all fit really well with depth psychology because you can see it as a, it's an, it's an ever expanding field. It's really just Mm. at core taking the unconscious really seriously, Mm. taking the unconscious really, really seriously and understanding that whatever metaphor works for you is the best one to lean into. Like mm. if the idea of growth or alchemy or or just the concept of trauma. We're seeing people yeah. right now, I think, grab onto the idea of trauma because it helps them make sense out of the pain mm-hmm. they're feeling. Yeah. And then other people who are like, oh do not pin do like, do not give me that. Don't like label me that way. I'm not the sure. sum of the things that happened to me, right? Yeah. And Yeah, 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 yeah. So Death Psych gave me a way to have
0: more metaphors to offer folks. So Been super. I love that. Yeah, interesting. I'm so intrigued and like the (laughs) difference between that and humanistic existential. Because when you're talking about this post midlife crisis, I'm thinking like, yes, humanistic, like where are you at? Where's your meaning? Yeah, what's your purpose?
1: I think most of the humanistic existentialists, like their work grew right out of psychodynamics, but most people think of psychodynamics. Over in the Freudian camp. Yes. Right? Yes. And and that's not where the humanists and existentialists turned. Mm. They turned to Adler and Jung. Yeah. Like when they like when they were reading. So if you read Winnicott, mm-hmm. you're reading a basis of European still, you know, that English sensibility. So it has this sort of, there is a Freudian tinge, but you're reading a very strong um, Jungian flexibility. Jung was much more flexible. Like he didn't believe everything was about sex. He didn't believe anything. He wasn't that narrow. Also, he was deeply flawed, deeply flawed, which is kind of awesome. Like to see somebody be so deeply flawed and so brilliant Mm -hmm. at the same time. And then the humanists, I think, they're the bridge between like the humanists are the bridge between the old school depth psych and then behaviorism and they, and they, then they stood there like you could see the books like okay I see we're gonna have to help people through this like rigid like formal way how can I make humanistic approaches work they did a job that I mean I, we're still wrestling with yeah. right how do we how do we put the human back in but mm-hmm. Jung was when people tell me like oh I take a dialectic approach mm-hmm. I'm like There's nothing more dialectic than a Jungian analysis. There really isn't. Like, he was all about the relationship. He really felt that the only thing was the relationship you had to yourself and the relationship you had to... The people who you made relationships with, and that included your analyst. Like your analyst was somebody who was going to be with you for years. Yep,
0: yep, yep, yep. I'm also very relational psychology. Yeah. Like feminist theory is kind of where I lean to. Of yeah, it's yes. all about the relationship that you're creating with the person in that therapeutic space. Exactly, and bringing your full human self into that. Because I mean, yeah, back in the day, Freud and some of those people kind of had this more like power dynamic of yeah, you totally. you don't see me blank Lengthly- slate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm the you know clinician here. Versus, oh, I'm a human with my own flaws,
1: right? When somebody told me once, they're like, "Well, I don't, I don't believe in the unconscious because I don't believe in blank slates." I'm like, "That's not, that's not what the unconscious is. It's that's not it." <laughs> yeah. yeah, and the conversation wound up being about a mistake being made, and I think this happens a lot, especially at master's level clinician programs where they brush past so much of the psychodynamics they don't go into it far mm. enough to realize and this is what i found now in this program i'm in now they don't go into it far enough to realize the difference between an unconscious and motivations and the difference between acknowledging the relationship mm-hmm. in the room mm-hmm. and acknowledging that stuff's happening mm. in the room you know what i mean like may- maybe they they're comfortable naming the fact that stuff's coming up in the room but forgetting like You, you're that stuff. Mm. I I, as clinician, I am if I am in the room, my stuff's here too. Yes, completely. So I have to own it. Oh, completely. Really own it. Oh.
0: Yes. Yeah. I feel like that is one of the (sighs) biggest skills I'm learning as I'm, you know, becoming a clinician is, you know, how what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, my context that's how I respond in the language and the questions I ask. Right. And the, and so if I can't constantly look in while someone else is also speaking to think, okay, why do I want to respond this way? And all that internal gear spinning, then I am not doing, you know, my work as a clinician right. and being there for the person. Right. It's, it's so it's, much in there. <laughs> it's It's hard. Yeah.
1: It's a lot. There's a lot in there. Exactly. And that's, that's where I found that the, when i felt met by my analyst for the first time like the first time i had an analyst who could really meet me there i'm like oh, this is what they mean by therapeutic yeah and so for me that was where i found i happened to find it in that container of analysis but i wouldn't have found it if he'd been a blank slate person if he'd been like a everything you see here is about you it has nothing to do with no way and i would have called bullshit on that Cause that's not true like yeah. we're always talking to people we're real people for sure yeah and I mean yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. and <laughs> I've also always chosen female um therapist and psychologist yeah if I had a male psychologist it'd be a whole different thing for my own like history right. of male trauma and other things that I would have to bring into the right. room that like hey this is a hard space for me yeah that stuff is always happening It's impossible to get away from it. And I had my first
1: truly therapeutic experience when I had um, my, my analyst passed away just uh, Mm. just, just last month, just a few weeks ago. Um, But he was 90, he was almost 96. Right. Like, so, so it's a, it's a completion, a transition, but I did not have that truly therapeutic experience until I was working with him. And, And it never in a million years would have occurred to me that that would happen with an older white male, like, you know, like, upper middle class, all the privilege, you know, raised in a wealthy family, never would have thought so. But because he reflected to me through the, through mythology, through symbols, and was present for himself, he was so present for himself. Yeah. Yeah. That was like, that was when the, the, the switch flipped and I was like, oh, okay, I can be, I can be fully here. So I could show up totally. Because I, I don't think I'd ever shown up fully wow. in a therapeutic space before.
0: Because
1: if you meet people and, and you can run circles around them, not because they're not smart, but because they're like working in a very small container of like, this is what we're working on. And it's very tight. Like, let's problem solve, get your coping skills, Ooh, get you back it up.
0: Yeah. Right. No, no, that is not my therapist. No, that like work. CBT lens of kind of, you know, like here we are, let's learn skills. Let's put you back out into the world. Yeah, no, it's a whole right. different orientation to be in the relationship, to acknowledge that you could be talking about anything in this space and it still be therapeutic. Right. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. 100%. I know. Yeah. Having a human that will hold you, see you. And in that, I think it's so much so reflecting healthy relationships. Yes. And having that, then you go into your own relationships with that same level of healthiness, even just the concept of holding space for the other person to speak and not interrupting them and learning that with a you know clinician. And then you take right. that, it infinitely changes how you are in your relationships. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there are so many paths. Yes.
1: There's so yes. many wonderful paths. Yes. And I, when I, when I heard the title of your podcast, I was like, Awesome. Here for that. Yeah. Let's go there. Hell That's yeah. That's great.
0: Yeah. I know. It was so funny. I literally was talking about Young to my friends on Saturday night, and I was talking about, yeah, that synchronicity. And one of my friends was like, oh, you should have him on the podcast. And I was like, ha, you know, I wish that would be possible. <laughs> it's like saying, let's have Freud on the podcast, you know? And I know. He's like, um, she doesn't work in psychology, so it's a whole different yeah. realm. But I like to think that like people like you and I, you know, we are those That's people- it.
1: That's exactly what Jung said. So he, Jung had this great line. He said, I'm so glad I'm Jungian, not a Jungian. Mm. Be- and what he meant is because he he charged us with dreaming the dream forward. He didn't charge us with repeating his work. And that's actually why I find his work still relevant. But he said the point was to follow the dream, not not him. He he wrote his dream. You know, like he, and he wrote and he wrote and he wrote. Anyone who can let go of their thing to that degree, to let go of – the thing they've created that gives me more respect, for sure. Yeah, for sure.
0: definitely, definitely. Yeah, and I mean the context of that time to now. I mean, you have to keep changing and evolving yeah. to be able to actually be, you know, effective in this current time.
1: 100%. I mean, the internet oh alone,
0: like just like I don't, I would, I would die to hear the metaphors that you know he would have or Freud about what the internet is doing to our psyche and all these other things. We've created a whole nother world digitally, right? It's right. Insane.
1: And and it's and it's so fast. Yes, I was just talking to my my partner about this about how twenty years ago, like I have a, I have a lot of I'm 45, so I have plenty of memories of 20 years ago. Um, and they're they're adult memories. Mm. They're like, this is how I lived. This is how I made decisions. And t- just 20 years later, I have grown children who are now young adults. And I'm like, their psyche is so clearly different because of just the information yep. that they have. Yep their fingertips. And it's not like I feel old yet. I feel I feel very much middle aged. But it's a completely like the psychic shift feels extreme versus between my parents and
0: my age. Sure, I mean, completely think about and I am, you know, of that generation that grew up with the internet literally in my hand. And so when I have a question, I can find out any answer at any second and just Google it. I don't have to sit with any level of uncertainty about any questions, you know, about anything in the world. And so then when it comes to making decisions, I wonder like, how does that level of just like answers right in my pocket make making decisions so much harder because I want the answer. I can get it right here. But then when it comes to bigger questions, like what is love? How do we do relationships? What is happiness? The internet does not seem to have those answers. Totally. And you can get any answer you want. Yes, you say, yes. like, you, I feel like you <laughs> yes. gave it away in the
1: line. You can get an answer any answer you want. So first, you can only get an answer to a question you've asked. Mm-hmm. So, you know, which we understand from our research processes. But also, you will and your internet now is so smart, air quotes, giant air quotes around smart. So it will feed you the answer that you want or an answer closer yep. to that. Now, what do we do? Are we actually, like, leaving an older consciousness and entering, like, a new sphere or –
0: Oh, completely. I'm not – sure. I mean, I'm not here now. It feels like that would be out there, but I think we're there. Oh, completely. I mean, it's changing (laughs) how people see truth. And we know that, right? We know that people find these, you know, articles, these pieces and, you know, glom onto that and then take that to be truth versus, you know, the older model where it was, you know, my friends and I were talking about this, like, how do you fix, you know, plumbing or something? You would just go to your community friend that knew how to do that or your family member versus, okay, I'm going to watch a YouTube tutorial on this and just everything about how we learn truth, knowledge. It has changed so much. it's crazy
1: oh my gosh yeah i know
0: and this is also where i think about like the internet and how has the internet changed the way that we relate to people i mean we are now in a world of an abundance of connection compared to you know our smaller little communities where you date and have relationships within this little knit clan yep and now we have things like the metaverse which i don't even know too much about yet but me either but here it is just about it we are we're on the precipice (laughs) yeah yes have you seen that black mirror episode where they like play in the vr
1: i haven't i haven't but i was just talking about the idea of like what does dating become now that we because i'm seeing this so as a polyamorous person i identify as polyamorous and i've been practicing for over a decade and it feels like this is like that specifically, the the way that you could connect to a person without physical connection feels like it shifts the whole game yep. around multiple love connections. Yep. yep. Because now some of the great big hindrances, geography and physical bodily um, exchange of fluids, now you just take them away. Now, what do you got? Yeah. The whole world changes. Exactly. Because those are like two of the hugest issues people bring into the room with me. It's like, well, how would I meet people? And then if I did, how do I do this with any kind of sense of safety, for lack of a better word? Well,
0: what if we do it in a meta universe? Exactly. Exactly, exactly. That is exactly what happens in the episode of Black Mirror. I'll push you to watch that. Okay, I got it. I'm going to have to watch it. Yeah, because that's what happens. It's like this world where they can like go into it and, you know, it's a little bit more futuristic where you actually have the physical sensations of that universe. And kind of the episode is playing with that level of, you know, this man in a married relationship, monogamous, but in this other world. And, you know, you ask that question, is that cheating? It's not real physical contact.
1: Yeah, and what's real now. Exactly. We literally
0: can't – we have to redefine exactly. real. Exactly. And really rethink what relationships are. Oh, okay. I'm so curious. Yeah. How did you get into polyamory? <laughs> you have a decade of this. I mean, yeah, where did you start? Yeah. Okay, I, I
1: started – I had a numinous experience. You know, yeah. want to talk depth psychology. I was um, on a dance floor for the first time ever um, because I never did the bar scene. I had babies during my 20s instead. I was on a dance floor and – I was dancing with somebody I'd known literally my whole life. He had held me as a baby. Okay. And a lightning bolt literally struck, like right down through my spine. Ooh. It's the unknowable thing, right? Like sometimes you feel something de- so deeply that you can't unsee it. Yeah. And in my naivete, I was like, awesome. This surely this can work out some way. I had fallen in love with lots of women um before and so i just told my husband i got in the shower with him and told him he was not jazzed about that i was so naive oh say more yeah i want to know yeah yeah that's it i was so naive that i really thought that would work and when it didn't i mean we broke up within 45 days really it was so it was so fast because husband so yeah so it and we'd had four biological children and we had just opened a new business and
0: wow
1: it was brutal 45 days days, boom we were divorced within five months like so fast but here's the kicker and here's why it matters i just the idea of multiplicity was in my bones so i really thought like well We didn't have a great sex life, so I was like, what's the difference? Like, if I am attracted to someone else, why would you care? And so when I knew that to be true, and he was so so unwilling and unable to go there, I knew that we were done. Like, there was just a philosophical split there that I was like, oh, these two things can't stand next to each other because he needed me, and these were his words, to not feel this way.
0: (gasps) Yeah. I was willing to
1: control my behavior. I I was willing to not have sex. Uh, I was willing to, but he needed me not to feel this way, and I didn't know how not to feel this way.
0: Yeah.
1: So I had to find another path. I needed a new word. I didn't have the word polyamory. Right. I didn't have right. We had the book The Ethical Slut. I didn't even know it existed. Um, and it was second edition, not third edition, and that was like there was nothing. I didn't know these words. I knew the word swinging. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, yep. But yep, as yep, like a yep. thing people did yeah not like a thing suburban moms sure did. sure sure but on the other hand when i told this person i had fallen head over heels for when i told his wife she was like cool no problem we already do that wow we've been open the whole time wow. so i was like okay so i wound up moving in with them wow yep and we lasted two and a half years as a triad uh and then and then that didn't work out but Oddly enough, and actually not that oddly in the realm of polyamory, I wound up staying and she left. Mm. I am now married to that guy. Wow. Very happily, like, disgustingly, oh. disturbingly happily. I love this. I do love this. So I so I decided to just continue to follow this <sighs> path. We've been letting it unfold for all these 12 years. <sighs> it's a wild ride <sighs> to step off the relationship escalators. Yes. Um and to do it, we have seven children. Wow. You know, they're like it it's a so, it's a really bizarre set of circumstances to have like a very suburban soccer mom looking life yeah. and to be like, Yeah, but I fall in love with other people and what do we do about that? Yes.
0: And, completely. Yeah. I so I love this distinction that you were talking about where your ex husband wanted you to stop the feeling. Like something that is so natural to your being that you feel, I'm sure, in your body. And I love that distinction between, yeah, I could control the behavior, but I cannot stop what I naturally feel. That is absolutely impossible. And, you know, part of me wants to even push back on him and say, you know, what does it matter? Why do you need to have possession of your emotional feelings and sex life to feel security?
1: And that was exactly the problem he actually became so possessive that it was no longer safe for us to be in the same space um and i and he'd he'd always had a very relaxed attitude about my like i was out as bi my whole life Mm. and he'd always had a very relaxed attitude so here we had we were faced with patriarchal attitudes that i don't believe he really wanted to be in acting yes but this was a man this was a man who he had known his like whole adult life, a man who was his very close friend, and instead of being able to talk about it, that it just broke us. Mm. Interestingly, though, and I actually give him a lot of credit for this, he held me responsible rather than holding my my the, this love object that I had, this person yeah. who I wanted. Yeah. Which I actually give him a lot of credit for because a lot of people would blame the interrupter. Oh. This is why I wound up studying jealousy, yeah. right? A lot of people want to blame the third party. Sure. But my ex was very clear that it was a relationship between he and I that was being interrupted, mm. and he wanted me to make that promise. So on the one hand, I'm like, ooh, uh, possession, and it was awful, and there was yeah. lots of bad stuff. On the other, I have respect for being able to. Well, I mean, we co-parent, you know, yeah, now, you and have to, yeah. my, you know, his biological children, call, my children, call that, call him da, like they, yeah. they just do. So yep. we figured that part out, and that's what gave me hope that jealousy might not be the thing we thought it was. Ooh. That's why I wound up studying jealousy specifically. I So I studied polyamory, but I studied jealousy through the lens of polyamory. Yes,
0: yes, 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 yes. yes. Wow. Okay. So I am recently on a, a journey with a partner that had never – heard of polyamory or anything a male partner that I have been pulling into this space and he is very receptive to it but at times I'm pulling with these same ideas of like the possession the jealousy um, and having some flexibility in it now but I, I feel like it always comes back to this sense that or at least what he expressed to me as someone who's coming new into poly was that he feels like I'm just going to get up and leave at any point. Yes. Like I'm just going to go like Lee and I, and I get that right. Like the, the, right. the security of being, Oh, I am your only person. I am this and feeling that. But I try to explain to him like, that is not possible. You know, even if I'm in a monogamous relationship, divorce is always on the table. And even if I'm in a yep. monogamous relationship, it's a question of how much time and energy am I spending with my studies, with my, yep. you know, friends other people family other all these other relationships I can never be just you know invested to one person I'm always going to be spread out between people things dreams
1: right right yeah like trying to you're going to be multiple yes regardless yes it's And this is where I find I've been working with people a lot lately to I've been developing this this term creative monogamy mm. because I really believe some yes. people, yes. A, what I see is a lot of folks who want a, a very hierarchical design, yep. right? They have children, finances, you know, all of that. Mm-hmm. And rather than just say, that's bad, I invite the, some curiosity into what if you are honest with yourself about wanting security around, say, who you share finances with? But you are able to do the work to unpack who you share hugs with, who you share sex with, or who you share a bed with or time with. Yep. Like, those things are the the tougher ones to unpack, but usually if people can get more specific, the conversations allow them to now share more of themselves. A common spot I find people get stuck on is, can we share our sexual fantasies? First, can we share them with each other? now what if we're sharing them with other people Mm -hmm. now we're back in the black mirror episode too is it like is our fantasy does it does our fantasy life does our sexual fantasy life does it belong to our partner because in my book it doesn't it belong it's literally my psyche this is it yeah and i'm co-creating a fantasy space in every conversation i ever have anyways so how do i have the conversations with a partner who's been steeped in monogamy that allow them to feel some security yes But not an unrealistic monogamy writes checks it can't cash. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. It just does. I wish it didn't. I wish there was some way that we could promise those folks who are really desiring of that. But We stopped that when we stopped, you know, killing people for wanting out of a marriage. Yes. So that's over. And most marriages end in divorce. Yep. Yep. Just realistically. Exactly. Statistically. So here we go. If we're going to be realistic, I find that Having the conversations that let me know what I can count on my partner Mm -hmm. for and what they can't promise me and what they and what they are grown up enough to tell me they can't promise me which I appreciate a lot like I can't promise you that is one of the things I love most about a partner it's what shows me that Mm. I can trust them yeah can't promise you that yeah
0: such honesty there exactly I love Esther Perel's work she talks about how we say we're all monogamous but what monogamy used to mean was you married one person and you did not remarry and you had sex with one person and that was it yet we go go through these different levels of monogamous relationships, you know, in different short times and then do it again and do it again and I do it again. And it's interesting because I try to push people on this idea of, you know, like, what does it mean to have, you know, a sacredness of a relationship? Like, I've had sex with other people. You have had sex with other people. And I know that coming into this (laughs) dynamic, does that somehow mean that our connection right now is less because in the past you've done it? And I think when you take that lens to it and say, oh, you know what? No, it doesn't. It's the moment that we have now. You can also project that to the future. If I do it with other people, does it somehow take away from this moment? No, not at all. It's because we've made commitments that we have chosen to each other, and that's what's important. This is where (sighs) I find,
1: like, there is a lot of growth space for almost everybody. Yeah. Like, whether you want the most exclusive monogamy, you know, possible, or whether you want you know total relationship ar- anarchy, yep. wherever you are in that, if you can talk about it honestly, then you can co-create something that could potentially work. But most most folks who are practicing what I call boilerplate monogamy are invited into the conversation. So they don't actually know what they've promised. And I found that out when I went to get divorced. Mm. Like, oh, the presumption is that I have promised all of these things that I did not promise. They were not in our vows. I never signed a piece of paper. But this little signature on a marriage license, it has all this connotation and denotation. Yes. That then becomes not just legally, but morally. Yep. I lost all my friends in that divorce. Ooh, yeah. All of them. Like, gone. Wow. And that's about the assumptions about what my marriage was. Ugh. But those people weren't on the inside of my marriage. No. And that's a really normal thing that happens in our society. And these are th- problems that are way outside of what we usually think about when we're talking about, like, the sanctity of marriage. I think about, what about the sanctity of friendship? What mm. about... Having conversations that allow people to be their whole selves, even if
0: that means they don't fit into a typical box. Oh, yeah. Completely. It just blows my mind that monogamy, that one word, that decision that we make with, you know, some other person has a slew of expectations, like – you know, that you're going to live together, that you're going to want to have kids or not, you know, but at least Mm -hmm. live together, share finances, spend the most of your time together, like all these other pieces. And so, yeah, when I'm sitting with my partner and, you know, he's saying, you know, I still want monogamy. I ask, you know, what is it that you want? And he kind of laughed at that question. I was like, what do you mean? And I'm like, that's it. Oh, I am asking you very specifically, what do you want? Is it sexual fidelity? Do you want that exclusiveness? Do you want to live together? Do you want to, you know, like, what are the things that you want? And let's create that together. And that's why I love that you said creative monogamy. I've been trying to find a word for this too. Yeah. It's this freedom to create the relationship that you want with the commitment and boundaries that you want freely chosen. Totally. And and to understand that,
1: so the way I frame creative monogamy, it by definition must be revisited regularly. Yeah. You are a growing, changing human being, yep. and so is your partner. Yep. Therefore, there need to be there needs to be yes, always an open door to have a conversation. But more importantly, for me, is a, a pattern of revisiting, a, not just relationship check ins, but full on. So, in my relationship, once a year, there's a full on. We go through our whole relationship checklist. It's it's at this point pretty extensive, many pages. I want this. And then every three years, we do a full off ramp option. If we don't both re-up, divorce is on the table. Wow. It's it's uh a reality check yes. about what it means to be together. Yes. Which doesn't mean we're not flexible. Um, my brother was very, very ill during one of our three year periods. Um, and he was in my home and we were both nursing him through his illness. Wow. He wound up passing away. Oh. We we delayed our conversation. Yeah. Like we weren't going to like there's no there was no mm. heartlessness in this. Yeah. It wasn't it it was still Within the paradigm of our relating, mm. so we delayed it. Yeah, had that conversation a year later. Yes, in that case. Yes, but have it knowing that it's coming, Oof. knowing that in fact this coming September yeah. is is a three year mark. It's so exciting. It's it literally is exciting because I I get excited about the things I'm going to find out as we get toward that date, mm. and we're both thinking about this, and we're we're considering what our options are. It's not for the faint of heart because you have to really, you have That's to really, really, really own the fact, yes. the fact that nothing is guaranteed yep. except death. Yep, yep. <laughs> Even taxes can be evaded, but you leave the country. Yes, <laughs> right. But I can't imagine being more sure of what I'm Thank
0: choosing you. Yes. because of this. Yes, yes. This is exactly what I said that this is not for the faint of heart this is extremely difficult work to show up as your full self full vulnerability you know these things scare me these are the things I want and to be able to have to do that with a partner and create all these different things is extremely difficult but wow would I not want to trade that for anything in the world because I think that allows the deepest level of intimacy authentic expression that you could ever have in this life I'm so curious! I want to hear what is on your checklist. What do you? What do you have? Oh
1: gosh. Okay. So there's a lot of stuff. What I have, I'm actually I'm working on this as a a long term project. I've been working with these questions for the whole 12 years we've been together. What What exactly are we promising to each other? And I divide them up into categories uh, about you know what does it mean to share a household. What does it mean to share a bed? What does it mean? What do I want out of time? Mm. What does it mean to be honoring my agreements? Mm-hmm. Like, what will that look like in action? I break it up into these larger categories and then and then offer, we offer each other questions. We just try to stay in a question phase, questions like, what frequency of contact would you like during any given day? We live together, so, and we both work together now, so it really means that for us, that's that's the question. For somebody else, it might be, what level of contact would you like? Like, when I'm dating somebody new, that's one of the first questions. Mm. Let's co-create how many times a day or week or month or year even. I mean, I have people out I- Comets, you know, they pass in and out exactly. of my life. Yep. <laughs> that you know, I, I see on very infrequent basis, and that's fine because we co-created that. Yes. Like, yes. I'll see you. You know, on the order of many months. Exactly. And it'll be exciting. Exactly. And so the 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 idea is to come up with a, an agreement that I think of it as you want a flexible but most importantly resilient agreement. Mm. So you want the agreement. You want it to be explicit. Explicit is super super important. Because yes. the implicit assumptions are what make boilerplate monogamy not a great fit for somebody who wants clarity mm-hmm. it's not it's not the monogamy it's the assumption. exactly thank you yes and then i have to be careful about not not limiting my imagination mm-hmm. about what my partner might want yeah. so it's going into these conversations with total curiosity wow. letting him be whoever he is now mm. letting him change mm. and that was a hard one lesson my my family of origin really struggled um, and still struggles, I think, to let each other update, mm. let each other be- become yeah. something new and different. Yeah. Can you say so more? So that's, yeah, like, well, think about the, the, the grandmother who still sees you as a 16-year-old and is, like, still not sure why you're driving. Yeah. Or, the, <laughs> yes. or even, like, an older cousin who's who's telling you, like, Ah, uh, you know who's like ribbing you like you're like your little little kids as if you're little kids, or a partner who still thinks that you want the same things wh- that you wanted when you were in your twenties. Mm. I'm in my mid forties now. They are extraordinarily yes. different. And when it came to my parents and my parents' families, the inflexibility isn't. It's not. I don't believe it's out of harm, but they want stability for themselves. If you change, then I might have to make space for that in myself and then a lack of trust that I will let them change too. What I've decided is somebody has to go first. Mm. So I try to just go first and allow people to tell me who they are
0: now. That's a practice. I mean, I'd not do it perfectly. (laughs) I'm assuming that means asking more questions rather than coming from a place of knowledge about who they are.
1: Yeah. Asking more questions and really being ready to receive with curiosity the answer they give you today. And I struggle with this. Like on a Myers Briggs, I am an ENTJ. <laughs> okay, so like yeah. I <laughs> yeah, I come at the world yeah. as if I know everything. Yes. I am such a know it all, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when I face a human, Ugh, a person, yeah. I have to I have to actually shed that, set it down. Mm. Um, and I'll do it symbolically before a conversation, like, right, remember you don't know who this person is because you're not in there. And then miraculously (laughs) at times you find out that the person who you thought they were and they now aren't great. No problem. Cause this new person is so freaking awesome. (laughs) It's amazing. Yes. So that's the payoff. Yes. Like that's, that's what it's worth. Lots of questions and lots of patient
0: curiosity yeah, Did not come easy. Exactly. And I'm thinking about this within the terms of the concept of desire, you know, coming back yes. to this lens of instead of saying, I know who this person is, I'm thinking in like a partner, more sexual yep. lens, like, you know, I know who they are. I know what they want. I knew all this stuff. And then in that you feel like you have, you know, some sort of possessive you know, possession over who they are and what they are. And you kind of already know. Right. And in that, obviously, you're not going to have as much desire because you feel like you already know part of desire means that othering, that space. Othering. exactly. Yeah, feeling that independence of that human. And so when you come to them instead saying, you know, I don't know where you're at. You're constantly changing as well. Keep telling me where you're at. And in right. that, then you feel that othering and that desire can come because you see the independence of a fully separate human from yourself
1: totally yeah the,
0: this is exactly
1: this is the core the idea of you know what boober called i thou or i think of the capital s self versus your capital o other the idea of really honoring that otherness is the most intimate and arousing yes. thing i've ever come yes. across by by far. Yes. Because also the idea that you can have – your body can have adjusted to this person and and, and like you're on a, like a cellular level. You can have this knowing mm. and yet allow your mind, allow your intellect to expand so that your body can be in this open, comfortable, yes. regulated state. At the same time, you're letting yourself question like – Okay, maybe this is the metaverse. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Up in here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because that for me is like, oh, I – not only do I not have to have other partners in order to be polyamorous, one of the things I have to do is just let my partner be multiple. Yeah. Let them really be wow. different at different times, at different – not just on a large scale, not just changing like a developmental path, but like <sighs> – who they are yeah.
0: this moment to that moment. Yeah. What a beautiful metaphor. I'm thinking about that for the relationship, you know, thinking about polyamory and the fact that your partner changes, you know, and even if it's the like, quote unquote same human form, body, voice sort of things, like your partner evolves and changes and you end up having right. these different relationships with just that person. Right.
1: Right. That's what so my my wonderful analyst, um, There Green, he was the first one who who put it this way to me and I love it. He said, Well, I've been married almost seventy years and we've had I think eight or nine marriages <gasps> now. Yes. I'm like, right. Yes. Right. And that's just such clear language. I think everybody gets this. Yep. Like you have like your dating marriage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like you're, and then you have your settling into this newly weddish or cohabitating phase, right? And that but then there are all these markers that happen and some of them just happen. There's not even any line in the sand. There's no big thing that happens. You just look back and realize oh we evolved we shifted and sometimes I think we think of that as a we like glommed together but really you have these two individuals who changed and the space in between them mm-hmm. was, was changed and this is where I find Jung's transcendent function so helpful. The, um, the idea that two things coming into relationship is the only way the third thing can be born. It's the only way the third, like, this chemical interaction is the way that the third thing comes into being. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, now multiply that across time and change, and now you will have birthed, (laughs) in a metaphorical sense, so many new things that couldn't exist if the two of you didn't relate as new beings
0: over and over again. Over and over again. Right. Completely.
1: Which is why I do love long-term relationships. A lot of people Ooh, talk yeah. about like letting go of that and just, you know, enjoying the moment with, you know, lots of new partners. I'm like, that's fine too. But, you know, long-term relating allows for a different kind of multiplicity. Mm. They're just
0: – they're very different. Yes. And I'm I'm just so like – erotically charged by the thought of the stability of finding safety with another human, another body, feeling also the multiplicity of that human. I was just really in that thought that you were expressing and how, yeah, safe it can be to explore the erotic, you know, stability and expansiveness all at once, whether that be sexual, romantic, or whatever, that sort of connection that you're sharing with someone. Right, right. It's And I found this to be the most therapeutic
1: relating I've ever done. What I'm doing with my – so now with my husband, it's – our sex life is probably one of the most therapeutic things oh, that has ever happened in my life. Yeah. And I've, I've, do, I've been doing a lot of work for a long time yeah. at this point, you know, 30 years later of therapy. And um, it is a place in which my body can receive very differently than it could in any other space. And so really, I, I, I actually find new layers of consciousness available mm. within that container mm-hmm. that wouldn't, they weren't available. It's not like he magically brought this to me. We made it. We created it and we continue to. Yes. And that, at that point, our relationship becomes as close to magic as I, I know could exist. Yeah. What do you think? Couldn't force it.
0: Right. What do you think is that healing energy? What do you think it, it I could well, guess, but I want to hear.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think one, that the cellular level, that somatic security and safety. Um, Jung talks about the contained and the container. And there's a very gendered way that we think about this. But it really, just just <laughs> it's like a Klein bottle. <laughs> the contained is the container. It's 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 both, right? The idea that at different moments in any particular erotic exchange, one or the other of us is holding a firm enough container to allow the other to dissolve. Mm. At which point, who knows what's going to come forth? Who knows what comes out of that? I really can't predict. I can't know for certain. Ugh. So we go into it as this adventure. You don't know what's going to unfold. Perhaps the adventure will end in simply some pleasure. Yep. Perhaps it ends in a fight. Yeah. Who, like, who knows? Right but perhaps and this has happened as recently as this week a new part a new aspect of myself boom revealed like just okay i didn't know that was there did not know that was there ha huh, okay now what and that happens regularly mm. but it's because of this ability to contain with with a person and i've i've felt this with multiple people in a relationship as well like a, an ability to really contain even a what could ostensibly be called a purely sexual experience if the containment is really beautifully yeah. held, right? The body needs to feel a level of safety Yes. to let, for me at least, oh, yes. for that to happen. Yes. Same. Completely. It's also a place where, and, and my partner is completely fine with me sharing this, it's a place where you can play with what is gender, what what is what is orientation what does it mean to be yeah. attracted right like inside of that container yes and he has experienced massive ex- uh, explosions of growth in his gender understanding by existing inside of my containment by by allowing me to hold that space yeah i don't know where else he would find that neither of us does
0: and we've been seeking a long time mm. <sighs> Yeah. I know. I'm so. I'm so curious. Like, yeah, what this exploration is, and I like whether it's obviously private or not in his journey, you know. But I'm just like, wow. What, yeah. are, what well, do you learn?
1: I could say this. I could say this. When you are feeling safe enough to allow yourself to not only do a thought experiment about what does it mean to be a man, what does it mean to be a woman, but to allow yourself to enter into it, gender bending play, and allow yourself to really embody it. Now there's a different level of understanding. It's starting to be felt different. That then with through a process of debriefing and and talking about it afterwards, now it becomes incorporated. It's not just a, we had a fantasy and we played it out. But now, oh, oh, who is the woman inside of you? Who is the, like, I don't care how wide your shoulders are and how beefy your calves are. Who is the woman inside of you?
0: Mm.
1: Now we're having a conversation that I don't know another way in for us. This was the way. Um, and it's not a conversation that would play out the same if we kept it only in the realm of the intellect. Yes. Even though I – that is my default. Like, that is where I have defaulted to my whole life. Sure. But
0: the body. Sure. And the body and, you know, sex or whatever words you use to describe it, it's a way of relating to one another. So here, you know, your partner's taking on this moment to think about the gender expression in terms of relating to another yes. person, not just philosophical ideas, but how do I actually embody that and connect with another human in front of me? Yes. Hugely different. So different. Yes. So different. And And that's
1: one of those times when, oh, I can look back and see a line – That happened because of how we were exploring erotically. I can look back and say, oh, in 2021, in early 2021, there was another shift. Huh. And nothing will be the same going forward. Now we're in a new evolution of what we're doing together. And, you know, and then in 21, I dated like 10 other people. Like it's, it didn't mean that I wasn't also exploring, that he wasn't also exploring. But this thing? It was so deep, yeah it was so intense wow that's one of the the joys to me of having a multiple loving experiences is we were having you know different types, different kinds of experiences the The relationships had different purposes, yeah. different whys, different
0: reasons, yes which made it really exciting uh, to
1: explore all of them. Yeah,
0: leaving that infinite openness. I mean, I coming back to a lot of the poly, you know, relationship anarchy, whatever we want to call it, um, you know, f- I always like to believe that love is abundant, but the time and energy isn't. You know, that is such a reality piece. You cannot just like <laughs> so s- yeah. <laughs> yeah, splatter your love and everything across so many different relationships. And if you try, what you'll find is that you're only giving like, yeah, splatters you know yeah. and and it, it
1: becomes hard to have time for ourselves yep
0: yep where's right me? is
1: that is that actually just an avoidance i have definitely fallen into that before where i'm like ooh i'm avoiding my relationship to myself mm-hmm. by by splattering myself across many many people um and then i have to really think about that where does where does my time come and I, not just being alone but just time to not be prioritizing the dating process or the, you know, because you're I find that I'm always in relation. Like I can't even be in my own house without being in relation. There are, I, you know, five of my children still live here full time right. with me. I like
0: right. here right. I am.
1: It's always relational. Yes. And prioritizing that relationship to self, which I find I do better in polyamory than I did when I was practicing monogamy because I I leaned toward codependence. Ooh. So I would forget To have a relationship to myself, we would just get enmeshed, which is not the only way that people do monogamy, but it's certainly the way I did it. Yeah. It's how I was taught to do it. Same. Yep. Yep. Like, my dad was very clear. He was like, yeah, codependence is a choice. Mm -hmm. We love it. Like, with that word. (laughs) Which is so funny, but when you have an ability to see your relationship to yourself, everything changes. But you know what? You were right about the time. I mean- Yeah, it's hard.
0: I have- (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Are you okay? I can't. You have yeah. so much. Are you okay? Yeah. Oh my god.
1: It's this summer. Like everything lightened up. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't super tight. You know, quarantine anymore. I felt like I could take some some explorations out again. And I dated. And one of the things that I found was right. I can't really have any other hobbies when I'm dating like this. It's like it took up all of my hobby time. And then it started to seep into taking. Oh, it's actually taking all of my time to attend to my own just being with me yep. so I had to scale back again mm-hmm. then of course we find ourselves back in you know mostly quarantine and I'm like you know I don't know that I would have thought to do that I think those of us who extrovert really well right it's easy to just like push out yes. and fill the calendar yep. but it's not the only
0: thing that's multiple because I'm a multiple exactly as well. And to find that you need to set aside intentional time with yourself. And I I love yeah. that you, you know, made a took a moment to say that you're also relational, you know, you have all these different relationships that are a part of your identity, but also yeah, that relationship to yourself being so important as well. And I think that's something right. some people, myself included, sometimes forget to cultivate and invest time in. But knowing that by doing that you're able to show up better in your other right. relationships. I kind of feel personally like language fails me to describe what you're doing, what I'm doing. I don't – I get a hesitant – I mean, poly is, right, the best word. But even that, I just feel like it comes with these slew of expectations, these ideas, these things, when really I just want the freedom to create and relate to people, you know?
1: Right. Right. I talk about this all the time because I think that the first step, and I'm sure that most clinicians do this, you have to establish vocabulary with your clients, Yeah, right? That's like right up front. Make sure you know what they're talking about. Figuring out how to create the shared vocabulary for one relationship. Okay, cool. So you do that and that's work. And now to figure out how to do that with with other people and then with their metamors who may have other different meanings… I don't think there is one best word. I try to be really careful. I use the term consensual non-monogamy the most frequently. I u- try to use that term. And the reason I use it is I'm like, well, it's big and has room in it for almost everyone who's doing things where they're not lying. But it doesn't really describe in a heart sense. Like my my gut doesn't feel that word. Whereas, you know, polyamory for me, my gut gets that word, mm-hmm. so I use it. But I like I like to relate to my partner's partners. I like to relate as, I like knowing the web, knowing the constellation. Like, yeah, I love that. Mm -hmm. And not everybody does. Mm -hmm. I work with lots of people who want to do a creative agreement where it's not exactly don't ask, don't tell, but they're not involved with each other. There's a lot of space between partners, especially um, partners that they don't see very frequently. And I've seen it work. I've seen it work really well. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you're right. Language fails us because there aren't enough words yet. We're still populating this lexicon. Yep.
0: And it's part of, you know, like our job as clinicians and researchers to either create those words or to pull it from the community and listen to the community right. and ask, you know, what words should we be using for this? Because I, I sh- you know, I get non-monogamy, but I hate the language of non Yep. Some Defining something by what it's not. Yes. As if Weird. the thing that it is, is the right thing. So we must say that we're not that thing. Like I I hate that framework and it's like, God, I want something better, which is why I kind of like the relationship anarchy idea to say, oh, I'm a relationship anarchist. Like I create from nothing I start from zero start expectations. From yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and yet that word is
1: challenging too, because for me, I'm like, I don't, I don't have enough political and philosophical background to fully own the word anarchy. Why? I don't yeah. I just don't know how yet. Like I've never I've never spent my energy doing it. So I never use that word for myself, even though I think I practice yes, yeah. a bunch of parts of it. Yeah. But because I didn't and I know that there are people who feel so strongly like that word holds their foundation. It's so essential for them that I'm like, oh, okay, I want to leave that there as this beautiful piece of art that they're using. And I still haven't gotten close enough yet to fully appreciate Interesting. it. But also, I have a lot of children. And that has meant needing to have some areas where I am 100% stable. Mm. So when I meet someone who is... So, for instance, just unwilling to be involved and and like understand and know my constellation that may fit into their their what their imagination is of re- relationship anarchy. They don't want to know that I'm like, oh, but I need to so i actually i use the the word polyamory to kind of separate myself in that way and put myself over into a camp of like, well, my family is part of it, all of my family, my chosen family, yeah. my friends,
0: yeah. So, so, but then it silos us. Yes. Then we wind up getting separated yes. from each other. Yeah. Well, so I'm – and I'm so, so, so curious about this because for me, I've done – you know, this relationship anarchy word is thrown across the board, right? And at least within the poly community and, and this non-monogamy community, yet when I go to the psychological literature, there's not a single article on it. Right. Yeah and there's Right it's still so nascent. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> there was one article from some feminist in Spain talking about it. And so for me for my dissertation this is specifically what I want to look at is relationship anarchy. How are people creating their own relationships? And so I'm so intrigued because I, yeah I hear from you this Freedom and abundance to create the life that you want to create, and constantly check in without a hierarchical system. Um, and so, I would want to be talking to you and interviewing you and having right. your words because it sounds like it, but then and then not connecting yeah, to that then word, I'm like
1: not connecting to the word, yeah. and that it can be as simple as like I know people who will not use the word compersion. They just don't like the way the word feels in their mouth, so they won't use the word. And I'm like, okay, cool. Um, there's other words that can work, like mudita or confelicity. There are other words, so we can work on that. I've literally had people just reject that word in my practice and be just like, don't like it. so then if we're specifically, I mean, they come to me because I work in jealousy, so we're working on jealousy. I'm like, well, we need something else to be able to invite into the space, not to get rid of jealousy, but because we want to also invite what's intention with, with jealous, but a word can throw somebody off. Yes, completely. So the chair of my committee was actually, she was like, I hate that word. I hate it. I just hate it. And it was great. It was a wonderful conversation because then I was like, oh, started looking around. Lots of people don't like it. Huh. Fascinating. Because if people don't like a word, then it will get the usage that we want it to have. Right. I mean, why don't people have budgets? I think the word budget is just like poor marketing. For planning your finances, right? Like, it needs a sexier word. I think, like, compersion might have that some of that attached to it. I'm seeing more of that pushback, and I think that there are other words. So, I think anarchy actually has a sexiness to it. Yeah, it does. (laughs) Anarchy like pulls you in. It makes me curious. So, my own, I, I almost feel like I have it a bit on a pedestal. Interesting. I actually have like. Like, I look at it from afar. I can feel oh. myself sort of considering it, but not quite feeling like I can lean into it or claim
0: it. Interesting. Right? Uh, yeah. I, but I couldn't
1: really tell you why. Like, yeah. language.
0: Because <laughs> it sounds like exactly what you're doing, creating.
1: Yeah. it. I mean, it is in so many ways. The practices are, though I will say I have no problems deciding, like, using the word hierarchy yeah. doesn't scare me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I like to use it as a description to be very clear about where I'm spending my time and my energy. And so that doesn't scare me. And I've had other people say, well, if you're going to use the word hierarchy, if there's going to be any hierarchy, then you can't be an anarchy. And I'm like,
0: what if, what if we could? Yeah. This is where the language is everything. I have this post-it note that I wrote and I was like, maybe the answer is not found in the abolishment of hierarchy, but rather the acknowledgement of its malleability. Yeah, I think it is as someone oh, yes. who's trying to practice right from this this anarchy point, it is impossible to just be like everyone's equal. Everyone's right. equal, no one has importance. There is some reality to the fact that you know you might share a mortgage with another right. human. That is quote-unquote a hierarchy of different relationships than I don't share that level of financial and for you co-parenting or these other things right. like it is absolutely impossible to just be right. completely equal.
1: And not and not to mention the fact that I think Doing our anti-racist work, we've been – we've been charged with, hey, stop focusing on equal and fair and start focusing on equity Equity, and like – and that – we don't hear a lot about that in relationships, right? Like what my girlfriend last summer, what she needed was very different from what my husband needed Mm -hmm. in terms of time and connection, right? And it was easy to find equity, but equal would have been impossible, it, it Like, impossible. We had actual lives that would have precluded equalness. Yes, exactly. And I see people in my practice constantly, the place where they hiccup the most is around wanting to move at the same pace. We need to have everything be fair. They want, like, the relationships, like, their explorations to be fair. I'm like,
0: uh oh, it can't be. Because of the multiplicity of the different humans, like we just we have different personalities, different things that bring us joy, and you know the introverted person might not want to go out and date a million people because that just doesn't bring them joy. (laughs) So it's not going to make them happy to be like, well, you need to be dating as many people as I'm dating so that it's all equal fair,
1: right? Because then I'll feel safe. Yes. Wait. Yeah my my husband does not. He's very shy, so he doesn't date nearly as much as I do, and yet. I could go monogamous before he could mm, by a long shot. He could behave monogamously, but asking him to commit to that word, he'd, he'd throw up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he Like, he just – he's like, nope, no way. That philosophically opposed, it does not fit. It doesn't even make sense to him, and it never did. Mm. Like, he just – it never did, wow. even when he was very young, whereas I could make the decision – as a philosophical choice and say okay i'm committing to it the same way someone might commit to entering a religious practice sure. and being like yeah. this is my commitment yes but i can't actually imagine doing it you know why why because 90% of my day is spent thinking about topics that touch this so i it must, it's my head like, constantly constantly so it has to have like it has meaning for me yeah i can't that would be actually like cutting off my I think my my reason for for being oh, completely. for existing like this is what I was here yes. to figure out yep. for me my
0: angle on it and I so feel very much so with you I could be sexually fidelitous if that's what I wanted right I could live in with a person if that's what I wanted but something about the word again here we come back to language monogamy because it has all of these expectations with it that I just philosophically could not be monogamous. Although I could sleep with one person for the rest of my life if that's what I wanted.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's the easy part. Honestly. I mean, and what does that even mean for the rest of my life? None of us knows how long we're going to live anyways. Completely.
0: (laughs) Completely. And I've, I try to explain to people that sometimes I have conversations that could feel so more intimate than even, you know, a physical sexual encounter. And now we're talking about intimacy and what, you know, and that's another thing that comes in with this monogamous piece where some people get into these relationships and then we'll be like, well, you're spending too much time with this friend and disclosing too much intimacy and emotional cheating is a word that comes around too in the – That one. Yeah. uh, And it's just – that's what That's where I first – That's exactly
1: what I couldn't wrap my brain around at the very beginning. I was like, so I have had close friends my whole life. People who attended my births, who um, one of them gave me a waxing once, like <laughs> we had been all up in each other's stuff, yes. as well as the fact that we had, they knew things that no one else did. They knew things my partner did, because they actually could understand things my partners my couldn't understand. So it wasn't even intentional. It was just not possible. And so when I was accused of having an emotional relationship, I was like, yeah, yes. they all are. Exactly. I don't know what to do now. Exactly. Hence the five months to a divorce. Wow. <laughs> because I, I literally couldn't make sense of it anymore. I was like, I don't know what to do. And the, the sad part is I didn't actually want to lose that relationship. Mm, yeah. I didn't want to lose the friendship that we had had since we were kids. But But the expectations of monogamy made it so that, oh, let me put, I'll put it this way. I think this is kind enough. He needed a villain.
0: Mm-hmm. and i
1: needed to be the villain
0: yeah
1: and at the time i was willing to take that because i i needed an out yep. and now i'm willing to carry it because i i actually see that that villain a lot like maleficent mm-hmm. like no not evil truth complex yep complex
0: mm-hmm.
1: not one-sided mm-hmm. so i'll sure i'll wear that mantle if if, if need that's be. what you had to if that's what it has to be because patriarchal monogamy doesn't actually support me in any way i feel no i feel unbeholden to it in any way because it supports me not one tiny bit nope
0: No. at all and if we all. look at
1: the research it's very young it, like, it's it's Thank not you. that old of a concept. Thank
0: you. This is exactly what I'm writing in my dissertation. Looking back at this concept, you know, starting from um, that agricultural, when we started owning land, property, and saying, right. This is mine, went away from that hunter gatherer shared community to possessiveness, then we start having this is my land, this is my wife, you know, I have ownership over this. And, you know, how can we learn to re-relate to other people and take off this lens? And then I think in that, then you ask these deeper questions of, yeah, what does it mean to have intimacy here through emotional, through physical, through acts of romance, you know, and other things. And then you start realizing that, wow, it's not as Equally put into boxes as we really think. And I think that when we try to put ourselves in boxes, what we're doing is blunting off the meaning and significance of some of these relationships that you could totally have, you know. Right. Because instead it's, you know, the deepest form of authentic expression is with my romantic partner. Like that kind of concept versus... No, I have deep intimacy with my quote-unquote friends, even that word's a little bit hierarchical, and having right. meaning from that. Like, that is profound. Right.
1: This is where all the opportunity is. It, there's so much opportunity here. This, it, it's it's like looking at the world through as if, oh, you know what it reminds me of is in um, the movie Interstellar, mm-hmm. where he falls into five-dimensional space. Mm. And you're like, okay, Nothing's going to ever look the same, huh? you can't unsee it exactly. once you start to consider yep. it, and that doesn't mean you need to practice. I actually have lots of clients who practice essentially patriarchal monogamy they've like they've committed to it they don't want an out they haven't they don't want to make it a real thing in their life, but they're committing to an intellectual practice of opening themselves beautiful and that yeah, I see like there's so much hope in that as well because now they're their friendships are different. Their relationships to their children are different, and that
0: unpacking,
1: yeah, you don't have to start with your marriage. You could start with any relationship. any of it.
0: Yeah, I've been reading this book called Ace. Yeah, by Angela Angela Chen. Chen's book. Oh yeah. my god, do I love absolutely! Yeah. Like, I could just like just. It's so juicy and it feels so good to read these ideas and pushing myself to think, okay, within the asexual community, how do they look at relationships and what does that mean for them? And then what does that change about how I look at my relationships? And it is just, whew.
1: So I know yeah. a deaf psychologist you should talk oh. to because she's writing her dissertation on asexuality
0: right now. Great. That is exactly what I've wanted. I've been looking for that person and I'm sure, you know, it's the nomination process. So like, yeah, Yeah. I I will talk to them next if that's who you pick. Hell yeah. Love it. Love it. It's exciting to see these
1: conversations happen. Yes. For real. Yes. Like this is how everything changes. Yes. Yes. And
0: I'm so itching for the right language. I liberated love was kind of what i had been sitting on from this weekend just this like concept of re-looking at what it means to love and care for other people but i'm so eager if you ever think of words that you feel like sit better with this creative and i i've been holding on to that too creating relationships rather than starting from a expectation and putting ourselves into boxes right
1: right Uh, and it's this is, to me, the work of maturing. Like, this is this is what you can do. Whatever age and stage and phase you're at in all of your other work, this is another piece of the puzzle. This is another whole way you can look at how does the world work and how will I find my way in it? This can be part of what it is mm-hmm. to grow up. Yes.
0: Yes. Mature Very emotionally exciting. and relationally. Yes. Right. 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 Uh. <laughs> I am just like already overflowing with the abundance of ideas and I love where you're at and all this research that you've done and it's been so nice to have, you know, another person. I'm sure you sometimes feel this as, you know, someone who's practicing a minority thing. Where sometimes you're just yes. having to fight to have people see this world that you envision and the way that you look at relationships, and so I always find so much significance in having these conversations where someone else is like, "Yes, I see the world. You do too." Right, and I'm like, "Thank God, <laughs> please, I'm not alone. I'm not, you know, fighting yeah, for this totally. reality." Not Ugh. not alone at all.
1: There, and yeah. I have such hope because every every week I meet more people who want to understand what they can do to simply crack this open and start exploring. That's where it begins, like, every time. Plus, I have a house full of teenagers who remind me that nothing, nothing is fixed in stone. (laughs)
0: Yes, nothing at all. We are constantly (laughs) moving. Uh, Is there anything that you feel like before this podcast you were like, I really wanted to say today so that I could leave some space for you here now? Yeah, you know. We didn't wind up talking about jealousy, which is not like
1: directly, which is totally fine. But I would say this, um, the work I've been doing around jealousy recently has me opening my eyes to the fact that jealousy has immense wisdom. Mm. I'm approaching jealousy as a neutral experience to which we assign meaning and figure out what it's for. And and I'm just inviting people to, to start turning curiosity to that. Um, I know it can be hard at the beginning, um, because jealousy is big, but if you approach your own experiences of jealousy with just the curiosity of like, what is this bad? Is this actually, is this actually all negative or are there other things going on too? Is there also arousal curiosity and intensity that I find interesting for some reason 'Cause I'm hearing more and more people want to practice alternative ways of relating. And so jealousy is going to be one
0: of the pieces we have to deal with. Yep. I know so many people who when I talk about non-monogamy, the first thing they say is, I'm a jealous person. I could never I could do never that. do that. Exactly. It's um it is the most common thing.
1: It's when people tell me that, I say, I hear you. And What my research says is that jealousy isn't what we've been taught it is. It's more complicated than that. So there are other questions to ask yourself. And I don't know any monogamous people who've never experienced jealousy. So if you actually want this, jealousy doesn't have to be the reason you don't have it. But you will have to learn how to deal with jealousy because jealousy can be the instigator of violence, the instigator of harm, the instigator of trauma. So it does require conscious attention. But when people say I'm a jealous person, I'm like, me too. I've been studying this. I tattooed the thing on my freaking back. <laughs> did you really? I, <laughs> accidentally. It's actually how all this started. I what? tattooed the kanji. I did. I tattooed the kanji symbol for je, for zeal yeah. onto my back. Yeah. Thinking zeal. Yeah. You know, intensity yeah, yeah. of life. Yeah. The Greek root of the word jealous and um and that was on the day that all of this started. Wow. Yeah, the universe just had plans Synchronicity. for
0: me. Exactly. Young just was like, here you go. This is going to be your journey.
1: <laughs> exactly. Uh, Thanks. <laughs> no, but I love it. And it and the thing is it is. I am still I still experience jealousy and it no longer has me in its grips and when it does, I know what to do. That makes all the difference. Knowing what to do when it shows up, for me, and that's a—it's a very personal experience—means that I can tolerate things that I used to think meant that my relationship was broken, but in fact, the feelings just have stuff to show me and teach
0: me. Exactly. Yeah, and for me, I feel like that jealousy personally comes back to this. Yeah, just deep sense of fear. Someone might leave. Totally. The fear can't be
1: separated. I mean, I think it's worth naming. You can't separate fear from jealousy because at root, it is made of fear that will lose our love object, right? Like that's, that's what it is. So we don't want to say, oh, you'll never be afraid again. But if I knew that what I was was afraid or if I was afraid and angry or afraid and sad, well, now what tools do I use when I'm afraid? What tools would I use when I'm angry? Most of us have some tools for these things. But when we call it jealousy, we throw it under a blanket and we're like, okay, it's under the blanket of jealousy, which means my partner needs to change something so that I feel differently. Exactly. And then we don't have – we don't actually have control of ourselves and our experience because we've put it under this blanket. And now that blanket also is – its edges are definitely
0: shame. Mm. So – now we have another problem. Ugh, it's a weighted yep. blanket. It's so <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, a restricting weighted blanket. It is because then it's shame, jealousy, scare, all these other things. And to just yeah. blanket say, "Well, because I'm jealous, I can't do this." It it just writes off that whole freedom to explore deeper levels right. of where this work and uh, you know what you started with the subconscious. Where is all this coming right. from? Exactly. Ugh.
1: Exactly, and that—that's where I say, what if you explored this anyways, and explore at first from a place of sexual fidelity? Mm, yeah, do that. Yeah. explore all these. There's so many other places that we can explore. This sexual fidelity is one tiny piece of it. It's just—it's just one that our cultural um, history puts a lot of weight on. But I say, start with any other part of your fidelity to explore with, and then. Then we'll talk about whether sexual is even part of what you're looking at. Exactly. Like whether that's even part of the
0: equation. Because exactly. it might not be. Exactly. Exactly. And that's totally okay. Completely right. okay. Right. Ugh. Yeah. I so there you go. Yeah. I could probably <laughs> talk to you for hours and just about this stuff. Like, yes, these are all the ideas that are bouncing around in my head constantly. Yeah so exciting. Yeah, it is. It is exciting. Yeah, I'm very excited to do this work and to study this population and to hopefully create more language for us to use to express these things. Right. That's it. It, We just keep doing the research, keep creating the language. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I do ask everyone on the podcast, this closing question, is what is one thing that you wish other people knew was more normal?
1: Oh, gosh.
0: Okay, as a sex educator, I think I say
1: that's normal, the most frequent of all sayings. (laughs) Um, But I'm going to go with the obvious one, that it is completely normal to love more than one person. Oh, yes. Romantically even. It's completely normal. What you choose to do with that is up for debate and question and negotiation, but it's completely normal. To fall in love with, to be in love
0: with, to feel loving feelings toward other people. I love that. Yeah, that distinction between the feelings and the behaviors. You know, I I do not think you can control your feelings. Yeah. And that is – I have not – Yep. If somebody knows how, cool. Yeah, please um, inform let us. us know. <laughs> Yeah.
1: Please. Whenever you get that. Uh, I think they yeah. call that Thorazine and we out, like we, we took that off the, the list because it doesn't work yeah, that well yeah. to just numb all of our feelings. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And so it's normal to love, to have those feelings. And then from there, you as the autonomous being that you are, get to choose what behaviors, what choices you want to make with those feelings. Exactly. And that's exactly. up to you
1: completely. There's your journey. <laughs> uh,
0: yes. Uh, it has been so lovely to chat with you. Is there somewhere that you want to plug if people want to learn more about your work, connect with you? And yeah.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I would love it if people are interested in, in especially the jealousy piece or in having – the beginning of a conversation about what you really want, I, if you go to listen to com, listen to Jolie, J-O-L-I, um, you can grab my like five free downloads. And one of them is a summary of my jealousy cognitive framework. Mm -hmm. And another is my how to have the, what the heck is our sex life conversation. So just like great ways to start flipping over some tables and make a new knowledge. I love that
0: <laughs> let's flip over some tables there's the anarchy <laughs> exactly uh, yeah this has been so fun I'm glad to have connected with you and just got to share the space and hear your world and your thoughts it seriously means a lot for me to have someone else in the same headspace
1: it's been a total pleasure and yeah I, this is not the conversation I expected ah! it was it was just like yeah pure joy uh, like yes yes couldn't be better yes thank you so much
0: just uh, If you enjoyed today's episode, then leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you're a part of the anarchist community, then follow us on Instagram or nominate a guest for the show by sending in a letter to modernanarchypodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, I'll see you next week.